Welcome to the Field Dynamics Podcast. We're here to facilitate inspiring dialogues about the nature of consciousness across disciplines, communities, and practitioners, all with a holistic perspective. From energy healing to somatic therapies, from neuroscience to meditation, we believe the most interesting things happen at the boundaries of disciplines. I'm Christabel. And I'm Keith. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the episode. Hello, and today with us is Gary Strauss, a master practitioner and world famous polarity therapy and craniosacral unwinding instructor. He is the founder and director of Life Energy Institute and Polarity Healing Arts of California. Gary has helped thousands of people find greater health and well being with his work and mentoring. His educational programs have uplifted many students to greater levels of skill, self awareness, empowerment, and deep understanding of the principles of life energy. To experience Gary's unique perspective on healing, energy, and holding space is profound. His compassion and devotion to helping people through his work is deeply touching, and with over 30 years' experience in the energy medicine field, his expertise, techniques, and skills in the energetic healing arts are unmatched. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Good to be here. So, as the uh, founder of the Life Energy Institute, could you share with our listeners how you define life energy? And by chance, is this the same or different than traditional terms like prana, chi, life force, uh, etc.? Uh, that's a deep question. <laughs> you started pretty deep. Uh, let's see. So our world is made up of energy. Everything. If you uh, look at the, I love physics. I'm a student of physics. And in particle physics, they're always trying to find out what's the, what's the smallest element of matter. And when they get down to that level of infinitesimal reality, which they think is not even the bottom, they think that reality is actually a probability, that it's not even a, a, a solid substance. And the greatest, the theory that I love the most is called string theory. And that theory says that our whole entire universe, which we are a part of, is woven together by threads of energy and very fine vine filaments of energy. And actually that's the same theory in Ayurveda, which is the you know, ancient energy medicine system of India. They say those threads, they call those threads Akka threads. And they say those threads come from the great Akash, or the Akashic record. And our world is woven out of that. That's actually um, theory that fits exactly with physics theory on how the universe was created, that our universe is woven out of a great source of energy, much greater than what we live in. So life energy is a subset of that, not that. It's an expression of that weaving. And then we are, as an entity, woven in with those threads, our own individual energy, and probably also the electromagnetic field of the earth as well. And so when you say energy or life energy, life energy is a subset, I think, of the entire um, energetic continuum of life. Mm, beautifully put, Gary. 
Um, what was your calling to healing work? What attracted you to polarity therapy and cranial work in the first place? I was uh, on the track to become an environmental engineer. I was doing uh, wastewater recycling, which has become very popular today. Um, about 50 years ago, we knew that there were our resources were limited and we needed to be in recycling. And so that's what I was engaged in. And I started studying um, polarity when I was in college. Somebody introduced me and I always thought it was incredible. And the more I went on in the work of environmental engineering, which I did quite a bit of it, I started doing polarity. Uh, I met a teacher, started another teacher, started playing with it. And the more I played with it, the more I felt like I was home. Uh, it answered so many things. I grew up in a generation of, you know, in the 60s. And the theme was how do we, you know, help or how do we be a part of life or how do we add value? That's, that's what I heard. That's why I was doing environmental engineering. And I found with polarity that I could just help somebody immediately. Because in environmental engineering, you had to go through politics and systems and companies and uh, cities and jurisdictions. It was really enormous. And I, I thought the state of the art was like so not visionary. And when I started doing polarity, I felt like I helped somebody immediately. It was immediate. And, it, and more and more, it felt like, no, this is a better way. And so you're talking about working on others. I'm curious about what was your attraction or was there any at that point in terms of self-healing, self-development? I was attracted for myself originally. I didn't think about doing this because I was uh, in college. I started doing yoga and meditation. I was practicing martial art because I had this idea. I definitely, you know, yoga, we grew up in that idea. Oh, we need to cultivate the self. And, um, when I found polarity as a form, I was like, wow, this cultivates yourself better than I thought better than yoga, martial arts, you know, I thought much better. And so that was originally why I was attracted to it, because I thought, wow, this is incredible, because my energy opened up, I awakened literally through that work, is what I thought. And, and I was just doing it for myself for years, before I said, you know what, this could be a profession. Because like, Imagine 50 years ago, this is not, a pe people are not doing this kind of work, really. Right. So you were, you were around in the, uh, the formative aspects of, of some of this, these movements and these therapies. Um, and you're talking about the you know, polarity therapy being kind of the, the starting point. Um, but now you're a, uh, also a cranial, a craniosacral teacher or uh, integrative craniosacral unwinding as your uh, program is called and your methods called. So Given that you teach that, um, many people who are going to be listening to this might be unfamiliar with some of the core concepts and cranial work. You know, might you briefly inform our listeners about this particular uh, healing art and and not only the description, but what is a you know what does a session look like? Hmm. Um, okay, so I think we live in the era awakening to energy that our world is made up of it and that everything is. I think that's our time. And so then we say energy medicine. And polarity is a work based on Chinese and Indian, Egyptian and traditional indigenous people's views of energy and life. 
And so it's an energy medicine system. Cranial is a subset that deals with the cranium and the pelvis and the spine and the fluid and the energy and the physiology that goes along with it. And at the heart of cranial is an idea that there's a pulsation of life that comes out of the brain and spine. It's that's the same thought in many indigenous systems or in Ayurveda or even in Chinese medicine. They believe that that pulsation is what imbues health, potency, and radiance in life. So they think this is the first pulsation of life. And cranial people, all cranial people think cranial is the first pulsation of life around which your body and your life takes its cue. So finding cranial within, I found cranial within polarity because polarity is energy medicine and working with the head, the spine and the currents around the spine, you find cranial. So, but cranial is more about that. We say the midline or the primary respiration of life or pulsation from which all the other pulsations come. So my teacher, Dr. Randolph Stone, I mean, he's the, the originator of polarity. He said that, um, Cranial was like the Nile. It was the one river of life that gave rise to all the other rivers. In connection to this, Gary, I, th I think we're, we're coming close to this question I had, which was to share a quote of yours here about healing works with, with your system. Um, and the quote is, there is an inherent unifying intelligence within the system itself that is deeply meaningful. The job of the practitioner is to help that intelligence by organizing energy and that helps to maintain integrity where people have lost it. And this seems to connect very much to what you're, you've just been talking about. But can you tell us a little bit more about that idea? That could, I don't remember writing it, but that could be traditional cranial script. Any teacher would write that almost exactly the same. So partly what I learned is I've done, I've been a practitioner for more than 40 years. So I've done a lot of sessions. Maybe I've done something like 50,000 sessions in that range, right? So I've learned by doing the work. So what I see is when you do this work and people receive it, it's like they come back to themselves. That's the overall thing that I see, that they come back to self. They don't come back to self because I'm thinking I want to bring you home. They come back to self because you're holding the spine and that's where the self originates from. And in the esoteric anatomy that I learned, we would say that spirit comes into your body in the center of your brain and the center of your spine. The first uh, structure formed in a newborn is called the neural tube. And we have a tube like that in our body that it, that it evolves into. So before differentiation, here's this midline and your body and your being evolve or gestate around that to become who you are. So when you do this work, and I didn't know in the beginning, I wasn't taught that, but you would hold a sacrum and an occiput, or you would do some cranial, and people would get off the table. I had this happen every, almost every time, so much. They get off the table, and they say, I feel like myself. And I feel like myself for the first time in a really long time. And that's like such a quote. It's, it's like ridiculous already. I mean to hear it. So then... So then you have to infer from that, but you'll find it in the literature as well, that something about the spine and the brain brings you back to who you are. And so we say that's who you are is, you know, like you have intelligence in your frontal cortex, 
not very evolved, I think, personally. Not too smart. You have memory in your parietals and you have structural integrity and in the balance in the back of your brain. But in the center of your brain, there's a fluid core and in that fluid is your essence. And so we think that when you hold that essence, that it has, you know, intelligence is a limiting, it's not really a great word, but unifying principle way better. And that there's a unifying principle in our universe that's organizing it as well. And we have this idea that the smallest thing looks like the biggest thing. And usually they do, they behave the same. And according to, we think this principle that lives in the center of your brain and spine. Mm -hmm. Is that good? I don't know if I went too far. <laughs> That's beautiful, Gary. Thanks. What's your experience as practitioner? You know, what's your sensing experience, your ESP, if you want to call it that, when, you know, you're holding positions on the spine or the sacrum and the occipital ridge, say, what's, what's happening for you as practitioner? Well, the first thing is, like, as a practitioner, you're entering into a different kind of space. You're leaving. So a lot of life is very two-dimensional. Like you go to the store and buy something and bring it home. Norm, that's two dimensions. Or you have to write a bill or you have to take care of, you got to get your car fixed, two dimensions. But we are dimensional beings. And what that means, and we have many more dimensions available to us than the ones we're working in. We're working in a limited place. So energy opens up your dimension, period, just does. Whatever you do, I mean, people, that's why people are so into, you know, psychoactive substances, because it opens up their dimensions and they remember something about themselves that's more meaningful than the two dimensions we live in. So when I do a session, I go into a dimensional orientation to life. Just that orientation, people come in and feel better because the space is oriented toward something that's there organically. So when I do a session, I feel like I'm, I feel right. I feel like a good person. I feel right within myself. I feel healed from it. I just got back from New York. I did, and I, you know, I started my work there and I've been working in New York ever since I began like 1980 or so. And uh, I go there four or five times a year to work with people. And um, it's never stopped and people just keep coming and they're so grateful that I come. That's like such a good thing. But then I get to do work with people that's really meaningful. It helps them clear up distortions and it helps them come back to self and they remember who they are. So for me, at the end of the day, I could do more sessions. I feel so lifted or so illumined by the process, but I, I should stop at some point. You just can't keep doing it. It's not really, it's probably not good, but I feel like I could do more. So as a practitioner, I feel like it's a gift to be able to do it. It feels like that in my body and field. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering, Gary, because I've seen you, um, I've taken some classes with you and uh, very often I've seen you work on people and often you just put a finger on somebody, you know, somebody is on the table, you know, if somebody wants to imagine this, who's listening, you know, imagine you're, taking a class, we're learning a body work that has very strong energetic component to it. And there's a number of people sitting around a table, somebody's on the actual table who's going to be worked on. Gary's a teacher comes up and he's going to kind of connect to the person physically and energetically and just reaches a single finger out, places it somewhere on the body, and then things start to happen, right? And we're wondering what has been your 
um, the unfolding of your perception, specifically as practitioner in the moment, what's going on? Like some people are very, for instance, get a lot of internal visuals. Some people are very empathic. Some people, um, maybe they're just neutrality and stillness is something, you know, most people seem to have a primary or a handful of primary ways that the information, the energy is being translated into their present moment experience. What's that been like for you over time? Or could you comment on that? I think that we are, you know, like I said, we kind of get lost in our culture. You know, we get lost in society or culture. It's an old story. Like if you want to be a spiritual seeker, the Toltecs say, wake up every day and destroy the culture. Like don't live in it. It's a bad place, actually, is what they think, because it destroys your dimensionality. So if I open up dimensions, it opens up a field. I can do that at a distance. What we found in these last years is that because of COVID, we've done so much Zoom work that it's more powerful when you do it at a distance and you're not even in the same room. That's just in the mind. That's like, what? And people are like, how come that works? So, but when you open up dimension, you actually are doing something in the field of relations. When those fields open up, then there's communication that starts to happen in there. And sometimes I think um, I get things out of the field. And when I touch the body, I get things. And I get things from, I believe their guides are showing me things that are, or telling me, or I'm hearing it, or it's guiding me to go somewhere. Like people always say, how do you know to go there? And I say, and this is what everybody says, though. They say, I don't know. The energy knows. There's intelligence inherent, but I know how to follow energy really well. And I know how to listen to it. And I know how to let myself be guided by it. So that's more it. And whatever comes, I say some of the weirdest things to people. And then they go, how did you know that? Or, and they're strange things. They're very unusual. They're not like you were a princess in Egypt. You know, They're more like, I'm here, I'm remembering this thing about when I was a little kid and we used to do this thing and they go, you know, and then they say, wow, that's just exactly what my experience was. So we actually, I think you probably know, like I have a couple of friends. If I think about them enough, they'll call me. Right. Or those things are not coincidences. They're connections. You know, the same way we have a cell phone that connects frequencies across the planet. We do that without, we don't need a cell phone. We can tune in and hear energy. And if our world's made of energy, we're hooked into everything. And we are. So many people today are suffering because of what's going on in the world because of how hooked in they are to the suffering in the world. It's unavoidable. You have to do something with it. You have to breathe it in some way. And they don't know. And they think it's about them a little bit. But once they know, wow, it's part of the world, then they're freer because it's truer. You're not going to resolve things going on in the world through your body. You're only going to resolve your own. Anyway, I'm going off there. But that's some of what it, it feels like the field opens up and now we're talking. And some of that is very non-conscious. Dr. Upletcher used to use the language non-conscious relation. I love that idea because so much of what's going on, you don't even know, but you're being informed and you're being related and you're co-creating something together. I think that's more what it's like then I'm a practitioner and you're a client, we're on a journey together. It's funny, Gary, you've just mentioned this recent spate with COVID and the, the proliferation of distance healing work. Um, for field dynamics, Keith and I have actually found that 
you know, we've been amazed by the effectiveness of our trainings that we do at a distance and our, and our energy healing sessions, which are currently all remote, actually. Um, you mentioned even it seeming to be more potent at a distance than in person. What's your what's your answer when we're, we're asked this a lot? You know, somebody walks into the room or, or clicks your website and they're not so familiar with the concepts we're looking at here. And yet they they just ask the simple question, like, how does this work remotely? You know, what's happening? Do you have a go-to answer for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I have a big answer for that. I have some really big answers. I could just teach a class on that. It goes into holding space, really, for me. It's, it's what my work has led to. Um, the simple answer is, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a little chain. So the universe that we live in, our planet, you, me, everything here, it's 4% of reality. The other 96% is energetic at a physical and a, you know, and a level that we can't see. We know it's there. Our scientists are busy working to look at it. The reason we can't see it is because we operate within a narrow band of frequency. So there's a huge amount of energy in the universe. Tesla, Nikola Tesla wasn't building, he was building an energy machine to make free energy for everybody all over the planet. He was taking it out of the atmosphere. There's so much energy, we're just not with it. And the energy of the earth is huge. Without the energy of the earth, there's no life here. Without the field of the earth, so then we're little packets of that energy between heaven and earth, right? Little, really little, tiny. However, if we open up, we have access to the energy of the universe and the energy of the earth. And the more distance there is, the greater the energy that's between you. It's actually quantifiable. You could measure according to distance how much energy there is between you, and you could see the value, and you could make a statement that the further away, the more energy you're working with and the better it is. Now, look, that's a kind of a mundane answer and it's not that sophisticated, but it's obvious that there's a lot more energy at play when we have greater distances. And there is a, a experience of being with someone in a room and being with someone very far away and the experiences are totally different. There's so much more going on when they're so far away. Does that help? Yeah, this is this is um, making me wonder about, you know, as our civilization gets some people over onto Mars or something, maybe we should make sure there are some distance healers on Mars, you know, it'd be, it'd be the most powerful thing going. It's not a bad or just get some people on the moon, we'll get there now and let them set up a healing space. And let them hold space for what's going on in the earth. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think it's really fascinating. One of the things with this podcast and in general is um, addressing the gap between science and spirituality, um, understanding that they're really complementary, not contradictory. And, you know, most people who are, uh, dare I say, your average Westerner who's in, indoctrinated, if you will, by science, they don't know what to make of reality. And generally with the scientific paradigm, um, most people lean into this idea that we're just matter. And that mind somehow is emerging as a process of matter. Um, whereas traditions, kind of spiritual traditions, healing insights seem to kind of posit the opposite, which is, which is the other way around. So what do you see as an, something uh, 
as we move into the future, into the next years or decades through the lens of, of healing work, um, medicine, energy medicine, what, what might be on the forefront here around things that help us to bridge science and spirituality? Jeez, that's a big, you got a big, that's a big one. There is a really good book on this old one by Friedrich Capra called The Tao of Physics, where he shows the evolution of, let's just call it Western culture and the evolution of Eastern spirituality and how they're talking about the same thing. And I think they are just from different orientations, like that Western orientation is talking about physical and all that physical focus has allowed our world to advance quite a bit, especially technologically. Our technological advancement is wicked. We barely know how to use it. And that Eastern tradition has paralleled that. It's the, they're talking about the same thing. Um, I think it's our, and this is, you know, certainly my take. I think it's our evolution to kind of wake up in life. They're, they're busy. They have made a quantum computer. That's a computer that operates in real time. And that's kind of like replicating what goes on in our nervous system. They're, they've already done that. It's the beginning of that. And that will cr crazily change everything. And I think that mirrors us wakening to be in present time ourselves and to be living at a present time. I think that's the evolution. I think the more we live at a present time, I think the more we're all going to find some greater neutrality that will nourish us. And we will have less, I don't, you know, maybe this is not right, but I think there'll be less aggression and there'll be more integration between things. And there'll be less realization that thing, things are not separate. They're actually really all connected. And when somebody does something somewhere, they're actually doing it to themselves in some way. And the more we have a realization of that, which I think we're having right now, I think we're realizing that when we do things, we did it to ourselves. And we have to ask that question, what are we doing? What a great question. What are we doing, really? And this is that era. We're in it right now. Everything is so much a question because nothing is so vitally, we're not invested anymore in where, where were things at before. We have to be invested in being in present time and being real. That's our evolution. Our evolution is to become way more integrated as a being. And in that, I think we, realization as a species, becoming fulfilling that self-aware journey that we're on where we become aware and connected. That adds a whole other level of energy and information and understanding to life that will change it dramatically. You know, I have a friend, he's a mentor, who was uh, commissioned. He's a great motivational speaker all over the world, they would ask him. And he was lecturing in front of a group of businessmen. And they said, we'd like to know what your projection is for the future. And he said, let's see, there's going to be some good years. And then there's going to be some bad years. 
and then there's going to be some good years and then there's going to be some bad years you can bet on that and take it to the bank and like what he was saying was there's a pulsation of life that just keeps going and through that pulsation we are i believe awakening and we're going to be less i think you know dominated by the pulsations of life and freer so i don't know if that answers your thing but that's definitely my answer I love here, Gary, that we're really um, talking about the art of radical responsibility, as it were, which is a really powerful and empowering topic. Um, talking about enlightenment and spiritual awakening here, what role does healing work, especially the holistic, subtle, energy-based kind of work that you specialize in, how does that contribute or, as you see it, to this enlightenment and spiritual awakening? Mm. Well, I think it's our evolution to wake up. You heard me say that. And I think energy, when you get into energy, you wake up. You're not, you're not the petty crap that you're normally obsessed with. You find your center and you, my clients get off the table and they fall in love with me, but they're not really falling in love with me. They fall in love with themselves being open and they say, I love you so much. I'm like, yeah, you love yourself. So, and I think, you know, I don't know. I think love is, you know, our, many of our energy medicine scientists today, they say love and appreciation opens up the door. That kind of love, not attached love. But people mistake it. So I think energy helps you open up to that. I think it's neutrality, but neutrality is a relative term. It just means your, your uh, channel is open. When your channel is open, you feel pretty damn peaceful with things. And I think it helps. So then we energy helps us transcend the polarities of life and it restores integrity. That's the language. And from that place, we behave very differently. And I found that. And like I said, I was trying to do this environmental engineering. And, and then I realized, no, it's, it's got to be a, a human consciousness awakening thing to get where I want to go. So what of that split between the, the personal or the individual versus the collective? Because we're talking about individual coming off the table or personal responsibility. And you're mentioning a lot about, you know, the awakening of humanity in a sense, you know, what role does an individual have within the collective? That's a, uh, you know, I could answer that. I, I think I had a teacher once who said, what's your role? That's what he said to me. To, you know, I said, well, you know, I'm doing this healing work. He said, well, what's your role? And I said, oh, I should cleanse myself and heal myself, right? And he said, no. And then I said, well, I should, be, I should study this and learn how to do the best for other people. And he said, no. I said, shit, I'm getting this wrong. It was like a koan, right? And then he said, your job is to be. And that, like, made me go crazy. My job is to be, he said, yeah, your job is to be. I think when you're being, to me, that's a responsibility. Let's be, you know, if I'm in my being, which means I'm present also, and I'm able to be with things, that's probably the greatest thing we have because through the avoidance of things, we create a lot of problem or through the, a lot of times through, I'm going to fix that shit. We create a lot of problem. We've created, we, we, no one has studied this. But I did in urban planning, all the good shit they tried to do in the 60s made slums. 
They tried to give people great things. It didn't work. They found out that people need to do it for themselves. I think that's a real thing. Like we need to do things for ourselves. If we think our government's going to take care of us or, you know, or they should, it's like thinking your parents should take care of you. It's not very high elevation. So I think we're all responsible, but I think being really helps when you're in your being, you're doing something miraculous for our world because our world is so like doing. So being is a really great responsibility. And that teacher made me go, yeah. Then I think we should be good. You know, like there's global and there's local, but all of us are local for sure. And what we do in our own mind and what we do through our relationships with things around us that disturb us is critical. So at a, a personal level, being a good person, in Japan, they have this um, beautiful saying in these little villages. They say the job of the little village is to be a happy village and that makes the world a happier place. So I think the more that we are well and we do our own work to be good and we're consciously engage the way we can and whatever we need to do. If we can help, great. If we can't help, it's okay. We shouldn't be thinking that we should help everything and that's the answer. That's not the answer, really. I was saying this, this idea of the, what you've tried to help and what you've avoided almost create a lot of the same kind of energy. I hate to say that, but it looks like it a lot of the time. I'm, I've met so many people in acute trauma and part of the acute trauma that was in their field came from practitioners or people trying to help them. I didn't come up with that idea. I found it in a field. And if I opened up the field for that to go away, oftentimes those people healed miraculously. And people would say, what do you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I just held the space for their energy to open up and that garbage to get out. And then their hormones changed and then their physiology changed and then their life got on track. So we have to be careful about what we do and what we don't do. You know, we need to be present. That's foremost, number one. Just be a person. Speaking of um, trauma healing, Gary, Keith mentioned uh, something he recalled you saying in a class he took with you about staying in or out of the body during the healing process. And that generally the idea in healing, particularly trauma healing, is that people should come into the body but that sometimes a person has to stay out or wander far away in order to find their way back to the body. Um, can you just comment on this, perhaps from the perspective of trauma healing and, and resourcing, finding resources? Yeah, I can, do a, I can do a lot on that because obviously I spent a lot of time there, a lot of time there. Everybody's traumatized. The word trauma, we can't even use it anymore. It's just, it's ridiculous. Trauma is anything you've experienced that you was had a process and you didn't get to you didn't get to complete it at some level and it's in your body or your field and it's causing you disharmony. We could just say that, but that even that is glib. So my experience actually is that it's not uh, trauma itself that you know the event, whatever happened to you, that's not trauma. That's life, and we should call that life. And if it was hard life, it was hard life, soft life, soft life. And the same thing for me, I would change the dialogue in the body, out of the body. It's all the domain. We leave our body really well. We're good at it. We're supposed to leave the body. And ideally, we're supposed to be able to leave and come back and leave again. 
it's a skill to leave your body. You move into, you do it at night. When you go to sleep, you leave your body, you move into the astral and you live out your dreams and balance your psyche and your emotionality. You clear your energy, you cleanse through sleep. So going in and out of the body to me is, is essential. We need to learn how to do that. We do it, but we could get a hold of it. In a session, people leave their body all the time. It's part of the process. And then they come back. They've kind of like been reborn. So I don't know that I would put the emphasis on you're out of the body, go back to the body. I think, and that's in our world. I'm not going to diss it. But I would say the emphasis is way more on having a witness and awareness and opening about wherever you are. Because that's the thing that really didn't get to happen. We didn't get to have an empathic environment around uh, pain or distortion or things that went off. And when you don't have that and they go off, you don't know. And now you're at the effect of something you don't know. And when we come back and open that up and we go, oh, let's just be with this. Because in the name of that idea, so many people have been re-traumatized and been hurt by good meaning people who are trying to help them by saying, get in your, you know, like, got to be careful again. So to me, I like, you know, one of these people I work with who had a massive trauma to their head, because I get a lot of those, and they were out of commission for about a year and a half. They couldn't work. They had head trauma. Their life was falling apart. They were just about broke. Um, they were at home. It was a woman. Her boyfriend was a real idiot. He was upset that she was in trauma for a year and a half. And he was telling her, why doesn't she get her life together? And she was just in trauma. She was disoriented. She couldn't function. And nobody in our world could, I don't know, people say things like their boyfriend, why don't you get your shit together? When I got to her, she came in. She was obviously really quite messy and all over the place. And what I did was, I had her lie down. I stayed out in her field and I opened up some heaven and earth and her field started to clear out. And it started to clear out of all the garbage in life. Forget that injury to the head. It was all the other stuff on top of that that came out. Her bad boyfriend came out of her field. People who tried to help her came out of her field. Her field was full of all this energy, directional energy trying to heal her that was dysfunctional. And so... Same thing, she started crying. I never touched her head, I'm a cranial polarity. I didn't touch the body in the whole session. We spent a session, me standing in her field. So her field opened up and she got up off the table and she said, I feel like myself for the first time in a year and a half. She went home, she kicked her boyfriend out. I thought that was the best thing. And we had a couple more sessions and she got everything back, 100% went back to work, got married to someone who really loved her and had a, her life restored. And I think it happened in that moment of let's open it up and let's see what's really there. Because in trauma, sometimes you think it's the event, but it's not. It's a lot of times, or at least this is always true. Let me say it like that. There's always some element of how it was related to when it happened. And in the moment when we have trauma, you know what the most common thing is? Just to override it and keep going. That's the classic worldview. You have to keep going no matter what. That's old. We don't live there anymore. That's a survival. You have to keep, no, you don't. 
And I've had that happen so many times where I felt like the incident never got to breathe and that's why it's going forward. And if we just create a space for it to open up, which we do, then it starts to heal. And nobody's oriented like that though. You, it's, it's sometimes I struggle with people because there's, you know, like I have a person with pain and it, you know, I've, I had a client, I've had this story so many times. I've had 40 years of pain every day of my life. Probably not true, just so you know, but it's a representation because the pain's been so big, they think it's everything, but it is never everything. I'm sure there were moments. And then we talk a little and say, well, there were some moments where I didn't have pain. That's the beginning. Oh, it opened up. They don't always have. So then we open up the space and in the session, they have zero pain for the first time in 40 years, in their mind at least. And then they say, yeah, but are we going to do more healing? Can't you, is there more? Can't you do more? I said I could, but it will definitely mess you up and you'll get more pain. Do you want that? And they don't even know what I'm saying. They're like, no, but I want to do more. I want to do the real healing. Don't we have? And I'm like, well, how do you feel right now? I, said, I feel great. Can we do more healing? They're like little children. Can I, can I have some more candy? Come on. Where is it? And they get off the table. There's no pain. What should I do now? And I'm like, whoa. Step back. You don't have any pain, right? I said, no, I have no pain. I said, good. This is good, right? They say, oh, yeah. I'm trying to orient them into their experience because they something wants to take them out and focus on. The, you know what? One of the biggest things is when I work with people with pain, I say, you know what the hardest thing is? You have to stop focusing on the pain because you've been in, you've had an affair with pain for 30 years and you don't want to give it up. That's just a, that's a classic example, but that's who we are. We're habitual beings. And if we have these pains that we've nurtured and worked on, we have a lot of ego in it. And it's hard to disengage a little. And, you know, the most successful people I find, they're able to disengage their attachments for whatever reason. I don't know why. Because people always say, why did they, how can they heal? I say, because they're good healers. And they got something going on that's working. Anyway, that's a long diatribe about trauma. <laughs> well, it is a, uh, it's a hot, it's been a hot topic now for a while and it, interesting, very interesting perspectives on that. Um, and, and you're talking about kind of practitioners orientation. I'm curious here, just on the ground level of developing as a practitioner, what do you think is a priority? You know, you teach a lot of people. What is a priority for people stepping into the role of doing healing work? One of my students asked me that the other day. And I said, first, you have to be a good human being. And you don't know what that means. You don't know what I'm talking about when I tell you that. Because then they say, yeah, I'm a good human. I said, no, no, no. You can't say that. It's not fair. You asked me, and I told you, and now you're going to disconnect from what I just said because you're going to tell me you're already there. You're not there. You don't know what I'm talking about. So that's a, that everybody has to do that, I think, at some level. And what that means um, is closer to Lao Tzu for me. It means the appreciation of everything. And that's not a normal orientation. Now, could you get there without that? You'll cultivate that no matter what. But we spend time helping people become good people. And we spend time training them how to do simple things that are very effective. It's not in the complicated things. It's mostly in the simplicity. 
So part of it is like I train practitioners and they all want the latest, greatest tool or the thing, you know, and they want it to be flashy, like Hollywood, you know, they want it to be, everybody wants a little Hollywood. So training them to be a good human being is not that. It's, it's changing their orientation out of doing into being. That's how you become a good human being, by being. It's my, it's my old shaman teacher's message to me. Just your job is to be, dude. Shut up with all that other crap. And I'm like, oh, damn, that destroyed me. Destroyed my ambition, at least. So it's, I think, let's say in the day when I learned this, most people just started doing the work and then they became that. If you do this work, you'll be, if you do energy work for a long, I usually say students start to graduate. They've, to graduate, you have to do maybe 150 case studies, 150 sessions, or they say, yeah, okay, what should I do now? I say, now do a thousand. Then you're going to get much better. And then after that, do 10,000, then you become really good. Then, we, then people want to study with you once you've done 10,000. So the energy itself and working with it will teach you. And that's how people usually learn. But we're beyond that. We train people from the beginning how to be. It's the most important thing. We won't just let you do something. In fact, the beginning of training is all about being and holding space. That's what holding space is about, really. It's about being a person with another person. I tell my practitioners, I'm in a class, I say, first, you have to be a human being. And the, the technicians in the room are like, but when are we going to learn how to do something? And then I sit back and I kind of say, are you sure about that? You really better think about what you're talking about because you're missing the lesson. And But they get it. Everybody gets it because it works. You don't have to do anything to get people to heal. You just have to be a person with another person. It's missing in our world. We don't have enough people just being people with you. What the hell is going on in there? Yeah, that's a really powerful and important message, Gary. Um, you've mentioned a, a few teachers. You've mentioned a, a mentor. I'm, I'm curious as to who has been the most influential to you in your life. And if you could tell us a little bit about them. Well, I definitely relate to the Dalai Lama. There's no doubt about that. I always did. Growing up, I related to Dalai Lama. His story and the way he relates to life, I related like that. And I felt like this guy, he could be my spiritual father, literally, because he, he, was, he went through such great tragedies early on in life. And I... We all have to some degree. So he had to leave his home. He's a ref. If you ask him, he's a refugee. He's never able to go home. And I relate to that. I related to him and how he negotiated his life to the world and being spiritual and being a teacher. So I love him profoundly. I do. And uh, I love his journey. Uh, Dr. Stone, who is the generator or, you know, of polarity or Andrew Taylor still, who's the generator of modern cranial and osteopathy. These guys are, they're modern people who are not in the thing, but they were spiritual. They were trained to be ministers and they found their ministry in the healing arts. So I love those people, but I love any of those people that are, are living in that energy and, and coming from it and putting it out and working with it. 
And um, I love maybe beyond that, I really, really am devoted to the teachings of Lao Tzu. I, I would teach this class and I would tell them they need to be somewhere between Lao Tzu and Jimi Hendrix. Like both of those people blew people's minds. I love that. And I can go back further in history, but let's just pick those. Lao Tzu had it really well. He said that um, nothing is something that's really important. He gave space to that negative world, that where we come from. And he said, that's really much more important than all this. So I love Lao Tzu. And Jimi Hendrix did something like that also. He blew people's minds with what he could do. And he did ridiculous kinds of music in the era that opened things up and changed generations of people. So I kind of like those kind of people. I also, I mean, along that line, I kind of, I can keep going. I'll stop. I want to, I want to just, just grab onto a phrase you just said. It's, it's where we come from giving, you know, Lao Tzu giving credence to that negative space. So Gary, where, where do we come from? I, uh, clearly am a little funny about this, I think, but I do think that everything comes from, I feel like I have memory of coming from another place. I grew up feeling like I had memory of not coming from this earthly place. I was sure that was true. And I was, I had memories of thinking I was other things as a child. We played games like that. I thought I was a horse. I did. I thought I was an indigenous person or something. I should live in a tree, I thought, you know. And I felt like this world was kind of strange. So I'm, there is no question that all of us here are aliens. I think we're all, you know, everybody's like aliens. We're all aliens. Shut up. We all came from elsewhere. Um, I love great physics. It says we all came from that great unknown dark space into this. Buddhism says the same thing almost if you find it in, in the literature that we came from an implicit world to an explicit world. And that implicitness is a big place, much bigger than this. And we're in this. And I feel that relationship. So I feel that. And I call that a continuity. And I think we're all made out of that expression in different ways. The way planets and stars, there's a physicist. So in the Cherokee nation, they, they believe that we are the star seed people, that we were seeded by the stars, right? I always love that, right? And there's a modern physicist who showed that the uh, molecular reaction inside of the star is so similar to the biochemical molecular action in your body. And her point, of, and she's a physicist, astrophysicist, and her point is that we really are made of what the stars are made of, same thing. So that gives you this idea. There's a continuity of reality from source to creation. And so I think like that. I feel like I feel singularities in life. Doorways that, are, you know, wormholes, black holes. I feel like they're here all around us. And we touch into them all the time. And people are so fascinated by it because they remember who they are. So I think we're beings from, you know, we come from the great source of energy. You want to call it God? And, you know, that's, God is too small a little bit for that, for me. It, it's not as uh, even creator or some of our language for it. But I think everything comes from there. And we're a part of that. And that feels beautiful to me.
violent, not peaceful. But there is peace in there. There's great peace and equanimity, just like the Buddhists. So I think like that. How's that? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Gary, you've been practicing for, for decades now. You've taught all over the world. What do you think the future holds for your investigation into healing and consciousness? Are there any stones unturned or any ambitions unfulfilled as yet? Well, all of this has unfolded. It's still unfolding for me. I don't know any answers. I'm just having a great time doing it. Uh, I did, I was in New York. I did about 50 sessions and taught four class, five classes. I was there for about two weeks. And um, I was just like alive. And so I'm alive to be in the work. Um, on an institutional level, we are, we just created a nonprofit and we are funding all the work that we do in the world. We're doing clinics and funding practitioners and students and teachers to become uh, abundant in life. We want to help everybody become abundant and empowered. We're making a, a virtual library for our teachers and our students and our community to use kind of like the Akashic record of our work. So we're, we're, you know, but to me, it's all, it's kind of amusing. I'm not that, I have so much ambition in life around all of this, but I'm not my ambition. So I know that it's all um, impermanent. I'm just trying to be happy and enjoy each day. And, and really, I, when I was in New York doing all this work, I was like, I'm so lucky that I get to do this, that people care about what I do and who I am. And they come to me from, you know, for years, I have all these different kinds of people coming in with problems and I get to help them and they leave with feeling better. I'm like, damn, that's good. There's a huge amount of heart energy and gratitude in you, Gary, as you talk about this. It's very palpable. As, uh, as I listen to you, we should perhaps mention your website. It's lifeenergyinstitute.net. And is there any trainings or classes you'd like to mention for our listeners who might be looking to connect with your work? There are so many. We have schools all over the place. We're in Asia, we're in Europe, we're in the US in different places. And I'm not going to give you, I think people who are looking for it will find what they need to find. That's I always thought that. I still think it. Um, so look at the website. If there's anything in there that's interesting, then you'll find your way and you'll know. But I do free intros like um, tonight I'm doing an intro, free intro on radiant life or next week I'm doing a free intro on tracking and tracing, which is based on dist our distant healing paradigm. I'm always doing free things that people can do and there are always classes beginning. I'm generally, I teach quite a bit, even though I teach less than I ever have, it's still more than most people. So there's always opportunity. Well, Gary, um, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Um, tremendous amount of wisdom and uh, an experience that you've shared. And I'm sure the viewers will really uh, appreciate all of the, uh, the perspectives. So thank you again. Thank you. And keep doing what you're doing, you guys. It's important. It's really important now more than ever. Absolutely. We will do. Many thanks, Gary. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can find us at fielddynamicshealing.com.